listening to the Cock and Bull Podcast, a weekly comedy and history podcast where I, Spencer Faust, tell a story to Nathan Faust. No, you don't! I saw you waiting for it. You were waiting for it. You didn't know when I was going to jump in. Mm, Uh, I knew it. Sneak attack. Sneak attack. Uh, No, guys, reverse time. It's been a hot second. It's been a minute. Uh, There's been been, a minute. There's been roughly 45 seconds since you uh, heard Nathan tell a story about Russian history. Uh, which is basically my only de facto thing that I can talk about, I think. I, it's, I might be broken inside. Um, Nathan, can I share an anecdote first? I, 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 I know it, it might be padding for time. It might, it might be. be padding for time. Uh, we, but, we shouldn't need it, but go. But here's the thing. I, I need to get this on the airwaves. Okay. I've right. been having I've been having an eventful month at the, the murder house that I live in. Uh, for those of, for, for, for audience that, that are not familiar, I live in the attic of an 18th century house. Because Spencer is a haunted doll. I am a haunted doll. Now, uh, we did have neighbors that lived below us. Uh, one gentleman did not have a job unless it was professional smoking and blowing his disgusting skunk weed into my vents uh, for me to smell at routine hours of the day. Which, thanks to so they- the uh, Missouri voting public, will be very, very good medical grade weed here in the next year. Go, Missouri! Too, too bad I live in Illinois. Now, ah. You guys already have medical weed, then you're fine. Do we? I don't I'm even know. I'm pretty sure. I don't even. I don't even know this state. If Missouri so, got on it, Illinois already on it. So those two, these two living below us, got evicted, and so naturally, oh. uh, the landlady was like, "Hey, if you want to check out uh, the thermostat in their place, if you ever want to go adjust it, you know, bump it up, because previously we were living at the will of the people below us. We have no <laughs> access to the thermostat. <laughs> the iron fist of whatever their stoner god dictates." Yeah, and uh, she was like, yeah, I'll just leave the front door unlocked if you want to go check it out. So I'm like, sweet. So naturally, I open their door, and I see that in their living room, part of the ceiling had fallen in. Uh, Aesthetically, not structurally, but there's, like, plaster all over the fucking floor. Interesting. Um, There was a samurai sword left behind (laughs) leaned against the wall. (laughs) So what you're saying is you have a samurai sword now. Yes, I do. Good. And I also have a compound bow now. I am ready to prefer to defend my home like any neckbeard but, should. I mean, you can um, I mean, you can defend against the the hypothetical zombie apocalypse for sure. My virginity is protected. Now, additionally, we went looking around downstairs and we found that in the bathroom there was a closet, and in that closet was a bright red door. Uh, did Spencer, did, you, did we take two weeks off because you went to Narnia? And I'm not talking like just any old door. I'm talking like a front door, like an industrial actual door that was... And when I say bright red, I mean it. you could see the brush strokes. It was a really shitty, bad paint job, bright, bloody red. And um, also the wallpaper surrounding it was patchy and torn up, and it uh, was from three different cat patterns. There was like a, there was like a leopard, there was like a cheetah... It was a jaguar. So, uh, Brittany's natural instinct was, uh, gotta open that. Well, gotta yeah. see what's in there. Yes, of course you do, because it might be Narnia. You say that, I feel like I unleashed Baba Yaga by opening that door. <laughs> it takes your, you pays your money, it takes your chances. Um, which, opening that door led to, uh, a, a spiraling staircase that led into nothing. Now, you say nothing. Pitch black. I mean, it literally goes from stairs to ceiling. That's, that's it. That's that's now. 
Did you possibly Haunt, check haunted? the ceiling to make sure that's not a nine and three platform nine and three quarter situation? That maybe uh, it's no, a wizard I, ceiling. I did not want to approach that ceiling. However, when I went back upstairs to my attic, I did notice that there was a corner of the room where the uh, the the wall kind of slopes diagonally, and I realized, oh fuck, they just put a floor over this haunted staircase, and now now they've made it two separate halves of the house. Um, and then this morning at about 9.30 a.m., I did hear thumping underneath that part of the floor, so I'm pretty sure I'm living in a monster house. Please help me. Nathan? The year was 1959. Summer of 1959, to be specific. Uh, for the record, before I get started, just to make sure, uh, uh, TMTM, allegedly, allegedly, uh, the references for this are coming from atlasobscura.com. Uh, so if you want to go back and find your sources, I'll, we can link them down below, or if you just don't sue me. Um, but they are my sources for this particular episode. Uh, summer of 1959, the USSR held an exhibition in New York, and the United States reciprocated. Okay, is this like a, this like a sick art exhibit? Like, what's going on? You know, well, it's the American National Exhibition in Solkolniki Park, Moscow. Uh, okay. It featured American products such as cars, art, fashion, and an entire model American house. And uh, everyone in the Russian public said, what is that? I've never seen any of these things. Is yeah. this how they live? It, it featured a number of still familiar brands, sponsored exhibits and booths, uh, because capitalism is awful. Um, imagine a Fallout, imagine a, a, a Fallout style house like a fallout for pre-apocalypse that kind of good old timey american uh house it had it had brands featuring disney uh dixie mm-hmm. cup ibm mm-hmm. and uh and more importantly for our story pepsi oh i can't wait to see how pepsi man liberates the ussr from communism mm, mm, mm. that's uh mm-hmm that month, many Russians got their first taste of Pepsi. And one of those Russians was Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev. Um, uh, alright. Uh, I'm going to keep my own personal feelings for Mr. Khrushchev out of this matter. Fuck Nikita Khrushchev. Um, oh, well, all, they slipped. They done slipped. <laughs> for all sorts of different reasons. On July 24th, then Vice President and historical bad person Richard fucking Nixon uh, showed Khrushchev to this ex- exhibition uh, because you can't just fit that much bad in a room. Just, you can't. It's not It's not right. And this he was be- a bit of a nasty man, wasn't he? He was a bit of a historical, you know, political bad man. Uh, and this became the scene of the infamous kitchen debate. You say infamous as though I know it. I don't either. Don't pretend we do. It's okay. Elucidate uh, me. But while standing in a mock-up of an American kitchen that absolutely just wouldn't be real, it was the kind of shit you'd see on TV branding and bullshit, uh, Nixon and Khrushchev traded barbs about communism. Uh, I imagine a lot of, meh, meh, Brett, yeah, we want to murder you. Meh, 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 we want to murder you too. Uh, a lot of that, I imagine. Um, uh-huh. And, uh, and a recent American resolution on captive states under Soviet power. Um, so so basically a lot of, hey, hey, you know how you keep spreading that uh, political ideology we don't agree with? Yeah, we're going to murder you into oblivion until you can't do that anymore. A lot of that. Um, so, you know, the fun kind of, you know, back and forth witty repartee that uh, that goes when Nixon and Khrushchev get in a room together. That's just two bros having a chat. That is two bros having a chat. 
Uh, Nixon also led Khrushchev towards a, uh, a display booth that uh, happened to be dispensing uh, Pepsi-Cola. Why Pepsi of all of them? Uh, well, if you're trying to capture America, like the, the American experience, why are you giving them the lesser option when the waiter at Chevy's is like, do you want a, do you want a brown thing? <laughs> I don't. I assume Pepsi probably paid them the most at the time. Coke doesn't need to advertise. And also, Coke's already red, so I feel like they, at the time, they were already probably getting lumped in too much little association with the communists. They they were trying to distance themselves. Uh, Pepsi Pepsi felt like they could get in there with the blue. A little blue. Sure. Stat. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, So, symbolically, this booth offered two batches of Pepsi. Uh, One was mixed with American water and the other with Russian water. So, again, um, I, I, I assume when they say Russian water, they just just mean vodka. Um, that, they, they have I, to. Like, no joke, I really feel like that's what they're saying, but go, go for it. So, this was a setup. Uh, the night before, a Pepsi executive named Donald M. Kendall Douchebag uh, had approached Mr. Nixon at the American Embassy. And as the head of Pepsi's international division, he had defined the company's leaders in deciding to sponsor a booth and attend the exhibition. So if you want to know why Pepsi was there and not Coke, it's because this one dude said, uh, I'm going to go ahead and do this, even though Pepsi International was like, please, God, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. We're absolutely not doing this. He went rogue, if you will. A little wild am card. I gonna, am I going to hear about how a Russian leader was poisoned with Pepsi? God, would that have been an interesting tale? Uh, no, you're not. Uh, he defied the company's leaders in deciding to sponsor a booth and attend. To prove that the trip was worthwhile, basically to prove to his bosses not to fire him, he told Nixon that he had to get a Pepsi in Khrushchev's hand. Uh, <laughs> this this feels like a weird daily quest when I log into my favorite video game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Nixon delivered, as Nixon often did. Uh, a photographer caught Nixon and Khrushchev together as the Soviet leader gingerly sipped his cup of well-branded, well-positioned Pepsi. Uh, this picture absolutely looks like everyone in the picture thinks that Khrushchev's about to be poisoned. Uh, Nixon is looking on with a just terrifyingly Nixon look. Um, the whole thing is just, the whole thing is bad. Um, and Khrushchev's just hanging out. Uh, Kendall is standing to one side. Uh, pouring another Pepsi, just looking like a, tr- a congenial uh, b- uh, bartendery gentleman. Uh, and Khrushchev's son later recalled that many Russians' first take of Pepsi was that it apparently smelled like shoe wax. <laughs> That's like a hot disc that I'm going to save for my next night at Chevy's. I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> it's always back to Chevy's. <laughs> well, listen... I'm sponsored. I apparently, um, but this, uh, this was it. This was the big time. This is exactly what they needed. And all anyone of after this exhibition, all anyone could remember was again because you got to remember at the time. I mean, America and Russia and the USSR were so at odds. There was no Western culture in. Nothing Western was getting into the USSR. That was the thing. They were. They were. The U.S. was intentionally isolating them. We want. We were trying to. You know. You know. Blockade them out essentially. Um, yeah. And and the the Soviet Union did not want Western culture trying to subvert communism, which it absolutely, in hindsight, was absolutely trying to do at every single goddamn turn. Sure. Um. Yeah. But everyone remember this picture. Of, of Khrushchev holding that cup of Pepsi. It became iconic. 
Uh, and for Kendall, our, our Pepsi, our rogue Pepsi exec especially, this was a triumph. Because Mr. Kendall had very big plans for the expansion of Pepsi. Um, and this, getting a, getting a photo op with the, the second most important world leader at the time... Uh, I mean, just shot him through the ring. I mean, you you can't you can't make a bigger ascension yeah. than that. That's that's the big time. No, for sure. So six years after that particular exhibition, Kendall was the CEO of PepsiCo. Uh, I see a bit of a correlation here. Uh huh. Uh huh. He did a good job. Did a good job for the for the soda sugar water people. They made him. They made him papal. So. For Kendall, the USSR was the the golden goose. It was the it was the the light at the end of the tunnel. It was the great untapped market in the world. It was the second second biggest economy at the time, fighting. But they had no one had touched them yet. There's no one had tapped that market. They could get there, uh, and he was determined to make sure Pepsi was the one that got there. So in 1972, Kendall negotiated a cola monopoly in the USSR. Okay. Yep. Effectively okay. locking Coca-Cola out of the country by contract until at least 1985. By blockade too. They did have they did have naval vessels ready to shoot down any Coke ships that made it through. Oh, Spencer, I love you. Ah, uh, ah, uh, oh, good good boy. Uh put a pin in that, guys. Cola syrup Quickly, no. <laughs> cola syrup quickly began flowing into the Soviet no. Union, it, where it was bottled locally. Uh, this was a coup for, for Pepsi. This was huge. They were the first West, <laughs> no Western brand had penetrated the Iron Curtain. I don't, I don't like where this is going. Oh, you shouldn't. Oh, you absolutely shouldn't. Uh, I'm not ready for the Cola War. Uh, the first, this was, soda was the first capitalist product available in the USSR. Um, that this was the first crack in the armor of of the Iron Curtain. This was what was you know what, this was their hope that they could kind of you know get into this market. Uh, and Pepsi was a pioneer. Everyone was everyone was watching. But there was one minor problem to this deal. Uh, money. Uh, mm, that's always the problem, isn't it? It's always yeah. the problem. See, here's the issue: the uh, the Soviet ruble was completely worthless internationally. Uh, which which is a minor bit of a problem when you're trying to do international exchange. See, uh, the ruble, its value was completely determined by the Kremlin, and Soviet law prohibited taking the currency abroad. So you can't trade it outside of the USSR. It is internal. And again, this is all part by the plan, but it kind of made, again, these kind of deals hard. So the USSR and Pepsi got down to uh, everyone's favorite system. They decided to do a little bit of bartering. Okay. So in return, work? in return for this sweet, sweet sugar water, uh, Pepsi received Stoliknaya vodka to distribute throughout the United States. Okay, that's a good deal. Stoliknaya, if you don't know, it's a very popular. It was the Russian national brand of vodka. It was a huge deal. No one could. It was not distributed. You couldn't get it here. It was kind of like the Cuban cigar of vodkas. Like it was one of those things that you know it was it was alluring because you couldn't have it. And PepsiCo became the company that could distribute it univers- uh, uh, exclusively in the U.S. Well, I mean, it was Russia's Pepsi, and it we was- had to get it. Th- we had to get it in exactly. So by the late 1980s, Russians were drinking approximately a billion servings of Pepsi a year. 
That's probably more than the daily recommended amount. I'm just going to say it. It's probably more. Ah, there's a lot of people in Russia, but yeah, we don't, you don't know. Uh, in 1988, Pepsi broadcast the first paid commercials on local TV, starring none other than Michael oh. Jackson. Oh, well, wait, oh, I thought it was going to be Pepsi Man. Nope, nope, it's Michael Jackson. Well, it's Michael Jackson. I'm just going to drop my conspiracy theory. They might be the same guy. It's, they it's might be the same guy. Very possible. Uh, and the bartering worked well. Stolichnaya was extremely popular in the United States. Um, and an American boycott in response to that whole Soviet-Afghan war thing meant that Pepsi needed something else to kind of wheel and deal with, though. Um, that they, they kind of... The, the, everything Ruski branded kind of took on a little bit of a... At the time, we were doing the whole Bin Laden and the... the well, that sounds familiar. Yeah, you know. Uh, so, in the spring of 1989, they needed to renegotiate uh, this deal. Uh, so, Pepsi became the middleman. Again, you can't trade Solignaya, Spencer. You can't. We're out of the vodka. So, what can you trade? Oil. That's definitely something. Um, you could also trade 17 submarines, three warships, what? a frigate, a cruiser, no. and a destroyer. No, they did not trade military vessels for Pepsi. You're right. They didn't what? trade military vessels. They traded what equated to the sixth largest navy in the world to Pepsi. For, for Pepsi. To Pepsi. Pepsi and obviously intended to sell these to scrap to uh, Norwegian companies. Uh, uh, what, and not starting its own Pepsi Navy? But at the time it was done, for until the deal was done for the scrap, in order to keep Pepsi in the country, Russia made Pepsi the sixth largest navy in the world by volume. F- no. No. What can... Yeah. Can yeah. Pepsi operate a navy? Is that do a you remember, thing you can do? Do you remember when you said, are they going to get warships to fight Coke? No. Yeah. No, what? they No, they did. They they had them. They, they absolutely... Now, I cannot did confirm it. or deny whether or not they just played the world's biggest game of live battleship because that's, I think, all billionaires <laughs> can do to feel at this point. That's what Bezos is doing right now. Yeah, but uh, but that absolutely, um, absolutely was was Jesus a thing. Jesus. So for a for a couple Christ. days, the 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 Pepsi company could have taken Owned. on could have taken on basically half of the world's navies. I'm just okay. Hang on, wait a minute. One one thing one thing can make this asinine bullshit make a little more sense. Was Crystal Pepsi out around this time? Was nah, that did not they yet? Yet. Okay, no, it's bullshit then. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why would you... What? What the fuck? Pepsi had that. a superpower navy. It, it may have been in 89. And also, apparently, the the running jokes... I, I pulled a, a New York Times... A, a concurrent New York Times article from uh, from when it happened, and the, the, the absolute pun that everyone kept going to was that Pepsi had taken the Cola Wars to the high seas. Was high C a drink yet? Was no, that, that no, they weren't. No, it was. There was no pun in that way. It was, it was okay, very much just right, high well, C's. Because uh, yeah. that is a Coca Cola product. That's yeah. Yep. So so. And guys, God, I'll miss it. 
guys, uh, the next time the next time you, you, you turn on the TV and, and see a commercial for Amazon, just imagine if Jeff Bezos had the world's sixth largest Navy. You say that like he probably doesn't. Oh, no. No, he has a space army now. We're fucked, guys. Yeah. We're absolutely fucked. But for a while, yeah. the sugar water guys had it, and I don't know which is more concerning to me. Good God. You've been listening to the Cock and Bull Podcast, a weekly comedy and history podcast. We're rounding out a year of podcasting, and we just we hope you're celebrating with us. Hope you're enjoying these as much as we're enjoying making them. Uh, we're going to try and get to 52 by the end of November. Woo! You know, get 52 for 52 weeks, make it feel like we didn't take several weeks off. No, absolutely um, not do that. Never did that. Never did, and didn't this happen. is not a cover-up job. Nope. If you try and share that story, Men in Black will come into your room and beat you with socks. I'm just going to say it. They're going to have marbles, the Pepsi, marble socks, and they're going to hit you. The Pepsi ships will show up, and they will team up with the Confederate whalers, and they will come for your ship. <laughs> I want to pitch a horror series in this in this oversaturated market uh, where the Pepsi man is a cryptid, <laughs> and he's... I, I mean, if you can prove to me that Slender Man and the Pepsi man are not the same person, I, I mean, fight. I'll fight. I think they're in cahoots. Um, we want to thank Drift's Pony Club for allowing us to use their song There Were Buffalo on the Ark off the album Cholera. We use that as our theme, and we're very thankful for it. Yes, we are! Uh, leaving reviews on iTunes is the best way to help out the show. Uh, you can get in touch with us with Facebook and Twitter. And, uh, oh yeah, Nathan has a new show out. It's called Mark's Madness. It's very educational. Uh, not so much on the comedy side, but very educational discourse on communism. And it really, it, it helps if you get into an argument about communism and you're not really sure how to back your arguments one way or another. It it's is, very educational. It is at the time, a, a week by week, we are reading uh, Capital by Karl Marx. So it is more it is more of a book club than anything else at this point. If you if you if if that book is big and scary to you because it's a thousand pages long and, and people talk about it and it's kind of scary, um, we, you can listen to me and, and David, a long-time, long-time friend of the show and uh, occasional Absolutely. co-host David Painter, uh, uh, tell you what that book means uh, and read some of the chapters for you so that it, yeah. makes it makes it easier to digest. Yeah. No, it's very it's very important to be educated in, a, in a hot button it's issue. It's important to laugh. And if you want to laugh, you need to go over and listen to, uh, to Cooperative Effort because Spencer is handling the funnies for the Faust family right now. Uh, and, and they are coming right to the, I think at this point we're probably coming right to the last couple of weeks of, uh, of this. And you want to, you want to be there. You want to binge this from front to back. You want to Netflix this, uh, so you can get ready for the, the, the stunning conclusion. Oh, what a cross plug. Thank you very much, everybody for listening. We love you all. And, uh, yeah, we got two more episodes to a year. Bye-bye. I'm not in-